You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my home. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. I'm your host, Brian Lauer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Just go to batmanonfilm.com, click on podcast, and you'll find the Batman Podcast Network that has a whole list of other Bat-related shows that also like to dive into other nerdy subjects we all love to frolic about in our free time. The Batman Book Club is also on Patreon. If you like what's going on with the show and you want to help support the show, Leave that generator running in the Wayne Manor study. Just go to patreon.com slash the Batman BC. Now, thank you for listening to episode 118, Black and White, volume one. Joining me is a very special guest. Uh, he's, he's a host of, keep it Batman related, of the Badass Beyond podcast. He's also a comic book writer and artist. Recently, he has released Batman white knight presents red hood number one and coming up here really soon is issue number two of that and he's also the very first clay i've ever had on this show it's <laughs> clay mccormick clay thank you so much for coming on the batman book club oh thanks so much for having me i'm, I'm happy to do it i'm uh, i'm excited to get to talk about what we're talking about today because uh you asked me um you know you just pick a batman story to talk about and and and, sure. and whatnot and i was like geez everybody i assume you've been going for a while i assume everybody's hit all the the heavy hitters at this point right i'd think that but just four episodes ago so even last month was death of the family i think i might have mentioned that mm -hmm. to you it took oh, right, 114 right. Yep. episodes to get to something like death of the family and so um i agree yes the year one long halloween dark victory those have been chosen granted we can definitely revisit those mm -hmm. at any time but um yeah you had a challenge in a way i feel like it's also overwhelming 80 plus years of batman pick one Right. Let's talk yeah. about it. <laughs> Let's do uh, issues 25 through 70. Yeah. Of, Sounds good. <laughs> uh, Batman, the shadow of the bat. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I was trying to think of things and I was like, well, you know, dark and everybody does dark and returns. I, I just done red hood books. So I was thinking about like hush or under the red hood. I assumed maybe you had probably done those already. And then I thought about um, the Batman book that probably had the most, impact on me mm -hmm. artistically um outside of the dark knight returns which is actually batman black and white volume one mm. um it's a book that i came to when i was in college uh, i i came to call i came into college looking to do uh comics i went to an art school I went to pratt institute in brooklyn and um my knowledge of comic art pretty much was limited to Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, the image guys and Alex Ross at that point. And, um, you know, with some other, some other stuff here and there, sure. uh, I was familiar with uh, Jim Aparo and some of the Batman artists and stuff, but I didn't have like a deep well of art knowledge at that point. And a good friend of mine uh, who was also uh, big into comics turned me on to this book he's like you got to check this book out batman black and white and it was like kind of a revelation for me mm -hmm. in terms of it being a book which i i think is arguably the 
the greatest collection of artists in a single comic book ever put together. And uh, the fact that Mark Chiarello, who's the editor who put it all together, seemed to have total freedom as to who he got into this book. It just really blew my socks off seeing all the different styles. And especially as my art knowledge grew and stuff, looking back on it, being like, oh, my God, how did they end up with all of these guys in the same book. It's, you know, Atomo is in there. Uh, Kent Williams, all these amazing artists that you would never think to see in a single book. And uh, it's, it really is, it really did kind of broaden my horizons in a storytelling and, and comic art way to see all those different styles in a single place. All right. So um, the immediate pressure got to you and then you just took a breath and you're like oh well, that's easy now it's batman black and white I yeah it took now. me it took me a minute to get there because i was okay. like well you know i also wanted to think about something that maybe was a little bit off the beaten path yeah um and i think that book is i don't know if it's i think people who know it mm-hmm. have it uh hold it in high regard but yeah. i don't i don't know how well known it is at this point because it's it's almost it's i think it's 30 years old in in like two years it's like 28 years old at this point i think we're pretty close um and it's not it's not really filled with mainstream stuff it's a lot of off the beaten path artists and and stories and uh some very recognizable names and some not so much but um it's got some some really great stories in there that are that are definitely worth talking about i think for sure i think before we dive we dive into that i have to ask you since this is your is since this is your first time on the show what sure. is your favorite batman story uh i was i was just talking about this a little bit i was at a convention this past weekend mm-hmm. and um I, I was talking i was talking about uh dark knight returns and i said kind of in the middle of conversation well i guess that must be my favorite batman story because it's <laughs> the only one i've bought four times <laughs> I, I've, I that'll do it <laughs> yeah it's uh it's kind of like the the cornerstone to a lot of um my comic book uh education mm-hmm. and you know it's always it's always the story where if you're reading mainstream comics and then you pick up batman dark knight returns you go oh geez i didn't realize they could do this yeah um so i would say that's that's got to be at the top i also you know i love long halloween is great year one i think i think it's probably dark knight and year one are probably my my, my top two favorites i know that's the holy really, grails yeah it's a hacky answer to say everybody says it but it's ah. it's that way for a reason i get it they're like yeah there's exactly perfect it, there's a reason if they're chosen so mm. much it's because they're that damn good uh long halloween's my favorite it's uh yeah i don't know how many different versions i have of that but when I get it, I, I understand. You don't have to sell me. I bought like every version of the Dark Knight Returns. I finally covered it last, the end of last year. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, I was like, well, wait, does this, does this version have different, have some extras in it that weren't in the others? I should probably just get this one too. Yeah, I should probably <laughs> get this one too. There's going to be a whole Dark Knight Returns shelf on my Batman bookcase. So <laughs> yeah, so, the one, the most recent one I got actually was it's, um it's all four issues separated, but they're all little hardcovers. And so they're in like a slip case. It's really nice. It's a really nice set. That is really the the last one that I just bought. Nice. I bought that one. I was like, it's just a really cool format. I think I want that one. And yeah, it's, uh, that might've been the fifth 
version of that book that I got, I think was, where's those? Why did I need them? I don't know because they just <laughs> well, look really cool. <laughs> to to, to kind of comparatively, uh, if we're talking favorite Batman story across any media, the yeah. only movie that I've bought five times, I think, is 1989 Batman, which is, you know, if 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 there was a, a single movie that was just the the core of my everything, really, it's probably that movie. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I get it. I don't even want to go through of like how many things I've double, triple dipped that are bat only Batman though. It's not this other yeah. stuff. It's yeah. like Batman's the only one that I keep uh, yeah. double and I triple think, dipping. And so I think Batman and Ghostbusters are the two that I just keep coming ah, back makes, to. Makes yeah. sense too. Mm -hmm. Somehow those, that all just makes sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all connected. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, get ready then and just go ahead and dive into Batman black and white volume one. This, it's interesting. From what I checked down, these came in, there were four extra long issues, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, released in 1996. And usually at this point, I always say written by this person, drawn by this person. As Clay alluded to already, the amount of talent in this first volume of Batman Black and White is insane. I can't list all of them, but there's some heavy hitters like Bruce Tim, Joe Kubert, Brian Bolland uh chuck dixon um neil gaiman still going through here matt wagner bill sankowitz denny o'neill alex toth which he did the covers frank miller did a cover mm -hmm. kevin nolan archie goodwin brian stelfreeze like holy crap yeah i mean you kind of did a really good intro and why you know at the at the top of this talking about this but the the series is it's just insane. And that's just volume one, which I feel like they tried to duplicate it since, but nothing compares to that first volume of Black Batman black and white. Yeah. It's um, it's, it's unfortunate. Cause it's like, it, I think the first volume is such a uh, lightning in a bottle kind of book mm -hmm. that the second volume from my memory is not awful, but it just doesn't have the same zip as the first one does. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think <clears throat> as they get into the later volumes, I think, uh, are they still doing, I know the, the most they just recent did one, one have, last, last year, they just did a Batman black okay. and white last year. The most recent one I have is volume three and that has, uh, uh, Sean's stories in there with, oh, yeah. uh, Scott Snyder. And, um, I think it was Scott. I can't remember. It might've been, uh, Jason Aaron or somebody else. Uh, I think Mark Silvestri did one of the covers it's more a lot more well-known names i would say mm -hmm. people you're gonna see on on a lot of comics that you just see on the shelves and that's totally fine you know I, sure. I i'm happy to to read a great batman story from anybody yeah but um i think the magic of the first volume is just it's names you wouldn't really expect mm -hmm. um like you know uh kent williams is not the household name that uh you would expect to see on a book like this or um uh even um simon bisley who's who's a a, a well-known artist it's just interesting to see he's they team him up with neil gaiman to do something really mm -hmm. cool uh teddy christensen who's who's a name that's that's a little bit off the beaten path it's just uh it really is a, a nice kind of um 
as, as uh, in the in the opening little bit in the in the version that I have, Mark Chiarello does the inter introduction, mm -hmm. and he said the the origin of the book was he was having a desert island conversation <clears throat> with a friend of his, and they the the question was like, well, what was what would be the desert island? What's your desert island comic book? If you could make any comic book, what would it be? And he just started like being like, oh man, it would be great to do Batman with this guy, and I love this guy's work; it'd be awesome. And then he was just like, well, why can't I do this? Yeah, and so he put this thing together as kind of a passion project and it's uh it's just full of really great stuff that i think is is um it, it's a bit of a gem i think yeah if you're if you're looking for batman stories that are not necessarily top drawer but when you read it you go oh this is this is really good stuff this you know there's only so much you can do with eight pages and i think some people mm -hmm. do better than others um yeah. but i think overall it's just a really great collection of of talent doing really I nice agreed. stories agreed um so it was released in physical media in 1996 it was recollected i think that i haven't stumbled across a hardcover myself but i think it was released in a hard it was collected and released in trade paperbacks Sin bit, since been released in a hardcover of a i don't know what dvd or a motion comic maybe or something oh, really like 10 years ago oh, wow. yeah it was it was part of part of that collection uh digitally it's available on dc universe infinite it's also <laughs> available on my favorite app of all time hoopla so clay hoopla. for this yes i i would like to i would like to back your your pushing of hoopla hoopla is fantastic more people are starting to learn about it and i'm really glad because they they need the uh, they need the support so that it never goes away. Cause what a great yeah. app that is. It's, and I'm not yeah, saying really great. it doesn't make me a cheapskate. It allows me to take risks on things that I love. And then I go out and yeah. buy them. So sure, absolutely. Hoopla. I mean, it's, People. it doesn't make you, it, it doesn't make you any more of a cheapskate skate than going to the library. Cause that's exactly, that's, that's what it is. Exactly. Thank and you. If, I'm glad someone understands. And I, if you're like me, I'm sure you've, as when you were younger, got plenty of email or even still now got plenty of books, comics from the library. Yep. First time I ever yeah. read the uh, Dark Phoenix saga was when I took it out of the library. Yeah. Libraries are great people, even if they're digital. Like who? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, which version, Clay, for this discussion did you read? Uh, I read my my uh, my trade cover, my trade. trade version. It has nice. one of the newer DC logos on it, so I think it's a fairly relatively uh, new printing. They're but like even the blue so, kind of folded in the bottom corner yeah the uh okay i got it. oh okay that's the one from like the like the mid 2000s i think gotcha um i checked mine out through hoopla my trade is in my archives i wasn't able to get it uh, but mine's got i don't know i forget what era that is but like the i think oh, oh yeah yeah that's it. a little bit newer i think my i just looked mine says 2007 gotcha okay um, i was when you started going over the different editions i got a little little excited because as i was reading mine one mm -hmm. of the things that I was thinking was I would really like to own this in hardcover. So it's kind of yeah. a bummer that it doesn't exist. Yeah. I really need to, I need to see what that was. Cause I thought it was kind of weird. It was at best buy. Oh um, really? Yeah. They did a couple of those. So some like, you know, the DC animated movies, there was, there was a little time period where they had them and then they had the discs disc or discs of that movie in the back, like the back cover. And there's something about it. I already sure. owned the movie and I thought it was just kind of weird too. And I'm like, I don't want my movie in a book. That's going to be on my bookshelf. I want it with my other movie. So I just avoided it. But um, I, I swear that's where I saw the Batman black and white. I think it, they've been collected in Omnibus as well. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So, that would be worth um, getting, actually. Yeah. 
I think so too. Um, do you remember, I don't, not the day and the time, but when roughly was the first time that you read this? Um, probably 2000, I was in college. So maybe like 2003, 2004, probably. Oh, okay. Yeah. A uh, good friend of mine, uh, Doug Cowan, great star Wars painter does, does some really nice stuff. Uh, he had a much deeper, um, deeper bench of of art knowledge than I did in illustration and stuff and so he really introduced me a lot into a lot of great stuff and uh you know he knew I was a huge Batman fan as was he and he's like you got to check this book out and yeah. yeah it kind of blew my mind a little bit I think mine was actually I don't remember what year it had it was post-college so we're talking like a, a little over a decade ago and I think mine was from the library like a physical yep. copy in the library and mm-hmm. I'm glad that I read it when I did because I was in my mid twenties. And at that point I'd started to definitely get more knowledge of uh, creators, artists and writers and stuff. So I was able to notice some more names and that as well as get introduced before knowing some were as big as they were. So I think for me, I'm glad it wasn't something, especially the, the stories themselves that, yeah, yeah. you know, 10 year old Ryan would not have gotten out of this. What right, right. <laughs> 25 year old yes. Ryan got out of this. Right. So yep. really appreciated that. And then I think you kind of already answered this, but in case you don't feel like you did, uh, why Batman black and white when I asked what book? Yeah, it was just, um, you know, I had a certain understanding of what comic book art looked like before that time. Um, My understanding was was rooted in uh, popular mainstream comic art from the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know your John Burns and your uh, Jim Lee's and Todd McFarlane's and whatnot, and um, I, as an artist, uh, I never thought that I could. I was never interested in inking stuff because I knew, based on my knowledge of of my understood knowledge of what comic book art was, I knew how precise you had to be. I knew how mm-hmm. clean everything needed to be. And that was just never the kind of artist that I was. I was, um, I was I, <laughs> trained, quote unquote, uh, as a painter more than anything mm-hmm. else. And so I always assumed if I was going to do comics, I would just be doing pencils because I didn't know how to ink. I didn't have the, the temperament for it. I knew that if I dropped a blotch of ink on my pa- on my page, I would lose my mind. Yeah. Um, and so when I got to see this book, it was kind of a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. It was kind of a, a, a two a two handed thing that really opened my eyes into what was possible in comic art. And uh, the first half was the very first convention that I went to, which was the Big Apple Comic Con in, in 2000, must have been 2004 or something like that, where I got to meet uh, Bill Sienkiewicz. And this is another situation where my friend Doug, he knew Bill Sienkiewicz, who, who he was, what he looked like. I didn't know what he looked like. The only reason we ended up talking to him is because he Doug knew what he looked like because he didn't have a, a sign on his table or anything. Mm-hmm. And so we went over and we talked to Bill for about 45 minutes and he was amazing. And he just started doing a drawing and he pulls out like this really gnarly flat brush that he's just dipping into the ink and just making these like big sweeping marks with. And he's got a whiteout pen in the other hand and he's like doing all that kind of stuff. And I kind of for a second went, oh, there's not a right way to do this. You can do this however you want. It doesn't need to all look like uh, John Byrne 
yeah. art or something like slit you can whatever gets you to the end point you can get there however you want and then the other half of that equation was batman black and white because i was just saw so many other artists in there who had styles that weren't mainstream comic styles and um one of one of them ended up being uh he's still my favorite artist probably to this day he's the one i, I go back to more than more than uh anybody else and that's jorge zafino and that was the the first time I ever came across his stuff. And it just really, it really stood out to me uh, very starkly, um, all the different styles in the book. And uh, yeah, it was, it was just, uh, it was just something that I had never seen before and kind of opened my, opened my eyes a bit to what was possible. That's awesome. And I also appreciate uh, you. I swear I've looked it up and I always forget. So you probably had a little twitch when I mispronounced Bill's name. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, he used to, if I remember correctly, his business cards used to spell it out phonetically. So I'm sure he would twitch more uh, than I would. So, okay. I mean, this is always a time like I said it and then you said it. And I always like to go back to Lloyd Christmas and dumb and dumber Samsonite. I was yep. way off. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. Always great. Um, so it's funny. You mentioned Jorge Sifino. Um, the way we're not going to talk about every single book or every single story included in volume one. We don't have the time. You don't have the time to listen to us for three hours. <laughs> talk about that. So what happened here was that uh, Clay chose two stories. I've got one story. And if we have the time, maybe we'll dip into another one that I, that I have, but definitely going to get to Clay's first. And uh, the first story that he had chosen was from issue two, I believe of um Batman Black and White, called The Devil's Children, written by Chuck Dixon. Gee, have you heard of him? <laughs> Illustrated by Jorge Zafino. So, Clay, let's just go ahead and, I mean, take me through this, um, because when you said Black, Batman Black and White, I know you didn't say, I want to talk about the whole volume one. Mm -hmm. You specifically noted this story mm -hmm. of uh, the story by Chuck Dixon, Jorge Zafino in Batman Black and White. That would be one I'd like to talk about. And then yeah that snowballed into oh, okay well we can talk about batman black and white that'd be a cool discussion we can each choose a story maybe we have some more time we can choose a second story but this was what you jumped to right away so what is it about this story um that jumped to the top of your list well um <clears throat> my ulterior motive if i have one is that i really <laughs> wanted i really wanted to talk about Zafino. okay uh because he is i think one of the best comic artists i've ever come across and he is not quite as well known as as i i and a lot of other artists who who are familiar with his work probably think he should be <clears throat> and he has uh i really um his style really kind of spoke to me when i saw it because he's he kind of has this He's he he works. I mean, everybody everybody who does this works magic to a certain extent. But he he works magic in a certain way where the the ink that he puts down on the page is both a mess and also perfectly real. Mm -hmm. And it's it's an amazing line that he rides between impressionist and just sort of like blotches of ink that could be anything. But as you read through these stories that he that he draws, you. I, I never feel like you are, are are missing details. Like he's got that sort of, um, he's got a bit of Alex Toth in him where he knows what you need to see and he draws the hell out of it. 
And then yeah. the rest of it is just sort of like, it's not quite abstract. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a mess that feels like it shouldn't work, but it does. Um, and it, it, it's almost abstract, but it still feels real. And uh, he and Chuck Dixon had worked together a few times. They did a book called um, Winter World, which is okay. absolutely amazing. And uh, I think I think Chuck also wrote Seven Block, which is which is another book that Zafino drew. That's absolutely fantastic. And uh, this story in particular, <clears throat> the thing that I uh, the thing that drew me to it the first time I read it is that he draws Batman like the Michael Keaton Batman, <laughs> which is he's got the yeah. same kind of like neck structure and his, his ears are kind of similar. And uh, there's one shot of the bat signal where he they even use the 89 symbol with the extra little pokey mm -hmm. wing at the or ridge at the bottom. And so that was the thing that kind of that draw, drew me in originally because I was, you know, a Batman 89 fiend, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his his work just really uh, spoke to me, you know, in a way where I was like, this is a really different way of of drawing he draws he like dr he lives in shadows like he draws the shadows a lot of other people draw the light he draws the shadows and he just it's uh, some of his drawings are almost like he's carving pieces out of the shadow to show you exactly what you need and then let your mind kind of do the rest of it that's a when it, somebody's uh, passionate about it they'll they'll definitely almost convince you of anything but i mean that first page of how you said though of it seems like he just it's stuff that shouldn't work and i mean that first page is a crime scene mm. and you just end up I don't, it doesn't bother you at all that the i mean it's the blotches of of blood with the the mark the tags like the police crime scene tags mm -hmm. on top of them yep and i don't know because you also could, I'm just wrapping my head around it because I hate abstract art. I hate it. Like, <laughs> I, I don't like it ever, but it totally makes sense of if you remove yourself from it, you're like, those are circles with rectangles. But no, I know exactly in turning it to this page, this first page is like, oh man, it's a crime scene. There's a dead body and yeah, blotches of blood all over the place. It's okay. And then start reading the story. Right. right. It, didn't, it didn't take much thinking to understand what, what's going on. Oh, Batman's at a crime scene. Um, and to, to your point, that's exactly what I got when it, it was the Gordon and Batman meetup. And yes, I love <laughs> that page. That panel's amazing. I was just going to turn to that page. Yeah. The Yeah. And they're side by side. Totally get, I mean, Gordon definitely doesn't look like 89 Gordon, but no, no, no. The Batman <laughs> definitely looks like 89 Batman. And it kind of with the panel above it, as he's holding, you know, the envelope, there's something with that that looks, I don't know if you, can remember there was a piece of promotional it was one of the maybe it was one of the earlier posters mm -hmm. that was almost like a silhouette of the cowl with just a little bit of light hitting oh sure on yeah. certain angles and that's what that that image of the cow made me think of right away too yeah. now a lot of people may not know what that is it's only because of watching the extras and they talked about the marketing in 89 they showed that poster um but i think i mean it's not a hard sell because i was that oh my god like he's influenced by 89 batman because that's exactly what I saw mm -hmm. when I when I saw this page, and I think this is a really good story. Um, like you said, different approaches for eight pages. Yeah. Tell a story in eight pages, and Black and White did such a good job of of 
I mean, almost every story feels experimental. And oh, in, every, yeah. in some of the other ones, I think it might've been Joe Kubert's one. It started off like, oh, this is just like Batman meets, but it morphed into something else. Or it was the fact of talking about bats and then morphed into Batman, you know? And um, I'm all for it. eight pages of really cool Batman looking like he's kicking ass and in silhouette and he's on a gargoyle. It's like, yeah, give me all those panels. But then this story in itself is, okay, there's a, there's a murder. We got to solve it in eight pages. Okay. Right, we've right. seen this before. Right. But it stands out differently in, it feels definitely noirish. We're hearing, I'm hearing Batman. And of course it helps that this year, the, the newest Batman movie had uh, a little bit of Pattinson's Batman narrating. Oh, sure. sure. Writing in yeah, his journal. Yeah. So it's like, I'm almost hearing that and the narration is as he's going through it. And like, it's a really it's a little bit of a dense story in eight pages too. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, a master like Chuck Dixon will be able to accomplish that. And yeah. I, it's a great pairing of a, of a unique style with uh, Zafino too, which I'm, I'm still unfamiliar with his work. Please don't leave the podcast right now. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'll track it down and I will look up the stuff that you just mentioned, but I mean, so you've accomplished both now in your career of illustrating and writing. So, um, you just kind of let it be known how much an influence Safino is on you. Uh, what do you get out of Dixon's writing in the story? Well, I think it's a really great little story too. The mm -hmm. writing is, is really nice. <clears throat> the, uh, the, the summary of the story I would say is um, it's a mob guy. It's about a mob guy who kills his competition by using the frozen severed hands of dead hitmen to leave thumbprints to frame them for the murders, <laughs> which is when you say it all in one piece sounds yeah. insane. <laughs> It does. Yeah. But the way that they lay it out in the story is, is really nice because it's, it's kind of a, it's a really well-balanced detective Batman story. And as I'm mm -hmm. talking about this now, I realize the other one I picked is actually very similar in, in kind of tone a little sure. bit, but um, it's a really well-balanced Batman story because you, you start off with this, this crime uh, scene that doesn't involve Batman <laughs> Gordon brings the information to Batman. You get a little bit of Batman solving the crime. And then even at the end, it's not really like a big Batman smashing through the window, grabbing the yeah. guy kind of thing. He just, it's, it ends with an interrogation where like, he's just been arrested. It's a very kind of like understated quiet story, but it's mm -hmm. a really well-written, um, a nice tight Batman as detective story. And I, you know, my personal preference for Batman is someone who doesn't interact a lot with yeah. law enforcement like he interacts with gordon mm -hmm. but generally it's sort of like it, you know they're kind of talking quietly in a dark corner somewhere it's not yeah. you know he swings in like batman forever and drops in front of people and never has a conversation before he goes yeah. to but and so uh this is almost like the perfect usage of batman for me if you're going for the detective batman where mm -hmm he kind of uh, has this part of the story that he's involved in that uh, is, is, is really fun, but is just kind of like a larger uh, piece to a larger puzzle. It actually, um, as, as Sean and I on our, our show, the badass podcast, uh, we were going through the Batman, the animated series, the episodes that were always really interesting to me were the ones that were, <clears throat> that treated Batman as kind of like a secondary character mm -hmm. because as much as I love the first person narration 
of Dark Knight Returns and all that kind of stuff. I think that gets overused a bit. And so I like it when Batman is presented as a bit more of like a um, an imposing force on whatever the story is. And so you're not directly in his head, but you you he's more of a presence and more of like a a, a feeling than anything mm-hmm. else. And I think yeah. this is one of those stories that does that really well, where you can almost you can almost feel you can almost hear the whisper that he's talking to Gordon in when when they're they're going over the different uh, elements of the crime and stuff like that. And it's it's just a really nice, tight, tight Batman story. I mean, he's. I'm trying to see here. Yeah, he's not even with. So you'd almost say the two detectives are almost the star of the of the um, story. They end up making the bust in the interrogation at the end. So it's not even like like you said, there's no Batman crashing in through the window and knocking mm-hmm. the guy out and calling the police or anything like that. It's he doesn't even make but he made the breakthrough and he feel I just kind of felt like he made the tip off to gcpd of you know like yeah. hey this is this is what's going on they put it together the evidence is there batman did all the rough work and he did it in the shadows by himself right. yeah uh, and it's not and it's not like it's all just quiet moments like there is a great batman infiltration mm-hmm. sequence mm-hmm. uh but even there it's it's presented with such a level of drama just from the visuals yeah that it it, it just feels a little bit different like there's uh that one shot I've probably ripped this shot off at least once in my own art where um, it's that kind of shot through a, a room with Batman holding the flashlight up. Uh, and so everything else is silhouetted in the room except from Batman's flashlight, except for like yeah. the little bit of outline on Batman. Like that's like a, that's like a perfect Batman panel to me where it's just shadows black. you get a little bit of Batman in there enough to make out what's going on. Just all mood and all atmosphere. Yeah. I agree with you there. Um, Zafino's art in the one panel so it's the the page so technically it would be two panels after that flashlight scene mm-hmm. I can't make out exactly what's going on there because to me it almost seems like there's a gun in the panel and his arm is up maybe but then oh, it looks sure. like there's other hands Yeah, that one uh, I read this twice I don't know what's going on there other than the guys are in the room and Batman's there too so the top panel, I think he's like backhanding a guy, okay, uh, out of frame, and then the panel beneath that, he's like whacking. Basically, someone coming at him with a gun, and he's like whacking him in the in the hand. And yeah, Got it. I will okay. say, in in the pantheon of Zafino artwork, this is probably not his best work. Okay. It's not to say that it's bad because I still sure. think it's it you know clearly made an impression on me, but. I think he's done better stuff because there are there are a couple panels and you're going to kind of come across that with his work where you kind of aren't really entirely sure what's going on. It kind of takes a couple couple looks to see what's going on. Um, well, I, know, I mean, also, it's not that I saw it and I had a fit and I said, clearly, we can't talk about this one because I don't know sure, what happened sure. in this panel. <laughs> Story still made sense. It still moved on. It's Oh, he ended up kicking the guy's asses and he cracked the case. Um, and what you said, I, I I do when you say it out loud like that. Sometimes as us as comic book readers, we just read it and we're like, yeah, I'm in. And we just go along with it. And it's yeah, like, but if you yeah. stop and you do say it out loud, it's like, wait, what? Chopped the hand <laughs> off, froze it, thawed it, rubbed it in oil, and then loaded a gun with it. And what? But it yeah, works. Yeah. That's a it's a very unique uh revelation of a you know a whodunit sort of or uh a murder mystery sort of deal it's yeah. twisted and i applaud it 
Yeah. Thank and, you, you know, Chuck Dixon. <laughs> yes. And, you know, from, from the art standpoint, one of the panels that, that really kind of stands out to me as, as one that sort of encompasses the kind of feeling that I'm talking about of how his stuff is, uh, uh, Sean calls it or organized bullshit. Okay. Um, is the page, it's the page, previous page, the one shot of the Batmobile. Mm -hmm. Cause if you really look at that, at that panel, great drawing of the car, everything else on that page is just nonsense. <laughs> it's just like a couple grates and just like a railing here or there. And, you know, the background yeah. isn't even really a background. But when you look at it, it reads as a finished background. It reads like it, it's it's a it's a place and a structure. But it really is just a bunch of like, you know, cross hatching and some per lines in perspective to make it look like the edge of a building <laughs> or something. So, to, I mean, you say that. And I mean, when you break down the context of the story, even. It, it it almost feels like well we know what we want the next page to be in the next panels we need one panel to take up the bottom of this page mm -hmm. because preceding that batmobile shot even is him going through images you know pictures mm -hmm. uh, of the of the case following the batmobile shot he's on a roof overlooking so it's like just insert a picture of a batmobile i guess and then like you said of oh yeah the 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 greats that can't support a Batmobile. Right. <laughs> and yeah. then I don't even know a bunch like, of nonsense behind it, like you said. And it's so yeah. But, like I assume that must be the Bat Cave because, like, if you think think about where it's positioned, there yeah. seems to be a set of stairs behind it or possibly a ramp. Mm -hmm. So I don't know like how it got up there, if he drove it up there or what, but it, it doesn't ring false to me at all. No. Because you know, the, the point of the image is to draw a cool shot of the Batmobile, which he does. Yeah. And that's nice and clear. But then the rest mm -hmm. of it is just kind of support, you know, and even the yeah. next panel on the next page where he's kind of overlooking the city on the uh, on the edge of the. It's a great it's a great image. I yeah, love that image. That's another one, though, where if you really kind of look at it, it's just it's a structured nonsense because yeah. I'm not even sure what the perspective on that scene is. For, uh, and if you look kind of like over Batman's shoulder again, it's just a bunch of circles and cross hatches <laughs> that kind of look like what a city at night looks like but it's not really a, any sort of actual structure but it all reads as real because it just it the the mood and the impression is so dead on that it feels exactly how it's supposed to feel not everybody can make convincing nonsense right i've been so well done I've been chasing it my whole <laughs> career yeah uh do you have I mean, before we move on to another one, do you have anything sure. else you want to say about this story? I mean, I think I, I really, I do like the art. Uh, it's exactly like you said of, it feels like it's, to me, it's like, it is messy, but it works yeah. in which not, not everybody can accomplish that messy is just messy and it's uh, incoherent even, but this, I mean, it, I, it follows, you just broke it down perspectives. I didn't even think about Um a couple of panels of stuff and it's like yeah I, I i agree and also but yet the story kept moving for me it was a yeah, good little detective yeah. story for me yeah it's it's nice it's a nice tight little story um it's not really reinventing the wheel at all um it's got a cool like the payoff is pretty interesting when you find out exactly like that's the the real fun of the story is finding out how twisted the 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 crime actually is yeah um, like i this story feels almost like a precursor to something like gotham central mm -hmm. where the the batman elements are a little bit more peripheral than yeah. than you would expect 
um and it's more focused on the on the cops and and, and stuff um but yeah, if you're a fan of, of that kind of story, Batman story, definitely check this out. And if you if you check this out and you like the artwork, please look up more stuff by Jorge Zafino. I recommend Seven Block and uh, Winter World. And he has an amazing uh, Conan story that he did uh, for the Conan magazine years ago. Nice. It's, it's really, really nice. So if, if you like the style of, of art, please you know check him out. And a lot of guys, there's a lot of artists working now who if you mention his name, their eyes will light up. You know, uh, Alex Maleev has a lot of uh, Zafino in there. Uh, Tommy Lee Edwards, John Paul Leone, uh, Sean Murphy, huge. You know, that was one of the things Sean and I kind of um, connected on right away mm -hmm. when we met was like, oh, we both love this guy. Um, and so he's kind of, he's a little bit less known than I wish he was. And I think a lot of us wish he was. Um, it, the... Uh, <laughs> Everybody has their like holy grail book. Mm -hmm. I think mine would be a my holy one of my holy grail books would be a artist edition of a Zafino uh, work. But mm -hmm. apparently his art is just so difficult to track down because the people who like who have it have it for a reason. Like it's not it doesn't get a lot of big resale because the people just want the artwork. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a tough one to find. But if you enjoy it, definitely check it out. He's got a couple Punisher stories he did as well. Um, is he yeah. passed on? He has. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. unfortunately but his son gerardo also fantastic fantastic okay. illustrator has a lot has a lot of his dad's style in there and i i recommend looking him up as well awesome uh will do i jotted down the winter world and seven block that you mentioned so i'm gonna i'm hopefully hoopla has them they don't disappoint Ooh, me much. that's a good so you I'll know that's hoopla. interesting i if i had to guess they might have winter world i wouldn't count on them having seven block all right but uh, if you can't find Seven Block, let me know, and I'll say I have two copies. I'll send you a copy. Okay, done. We'll talk. We'll talk after this. Sure. Um, the the story that I picked, in which I teed it up for you, on like I was I was having troubles because mm -hmm. I don't know that it's my favorite story in this collection. But when I first read this story, as I uh, so eloquently said to you, it knocked me on my ass. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that is. It's the first story of issue number four. I think it's the first story. Mm -hmm. um, an Innocent Guy, written and illustrated by Brian Volland. Heard of him? Mm -hmm. uh, the first time I read this, DC released a deluxe edition of The Killing Joke in 2008 for the uh, 20th anniversary of that story. Um, 2008, good year for Batman. Yeah. Um, that was my 89. I was two and a half when, you know, the uh, Batman came out in 1989. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get to experience that Batman yet, but I got, I got some in the dark Knight. but sure. this story was included in that with uh, some really cool extras oh, and it really? was colored. Yeah. It oh, was colored. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's where I read this and they gave, I think uh, Ballin did the introduction to it. So this is after, you know, you read the new, he colored the killing joke. Um, mm -hmm. sorry, I know we just did an episode of this a year ago, but a refresher, or if maybe people haven't heard the abs killing joke, the absolute edition is, uh, such an awesome buy it, And it's really cheap for an absolute edition as well, because it does the original coloring on the original style paper. And then it also has Bond's coloring in the more glossy kind of paper. Oh. And then it has Alan Moore's scripts. Mm -hmm. And then it also has this story included. 
um just i can't recommend that version enough no matter your feelings on the killing joke because it's so interesting the different that's, versions of it included and the backstory and all that included that is Hell another an one that is another one that's high on the list for me as as comics that i uh kind of changed the way that i thought about book comics a bit mm-hmm. when i got i actually got if i remember correctly i got Batman, dark knight returns and the killing joke i think i got from like a school book fair like one of those you know you get the magazine with all the books and stuff i'm almost positive that's where i got them i could be wrong though great um and yeah killing joke is man first time you read that if you're not ready for it it is it is a trip yeah and uh i mean the the the, brian ballin's artwork on that is is absolutely fantastic and so it's it's good to hear that that collection is worth it because i was just thinking the other day i need to update my copy of that so I, i might i might end up getting that one yeah, I mean, I think you can track down a deluxe edition, the that deluxe edition, if you want. Um, I don't know if you've read both versions that have the coloring. Have you seen both styles of coloring? Um, I I I remember there being some sort of controversy over recoloring it or something. Is am I remembering that correctly? You're correct. I th- I'm, I swear. Does John Higgins sound familiar? Was he a colorist uh, or not? Vaguely. I, th- I almost feel like it was some sort of rush job in the initial release. And that's why Ballin didn't get his coloring. And mm. then he was able to color it himself for this version. And he said, this is the version as intended. Interesting. For okay. that story, his coloring looks way too pretty and neat for that story. The initial one with all of that red yeah. and yellow blending and the yeah. orange, and that just works so much better. And this absolute, it does it. I don't like I, a lot of artwork. I think, uh, it detracts if it's on the glossy paper. I like the kind of, we call it construction, but sometimes it's the newspaper type. Sure, sure. That absolute, that old style is on that newspaper type. Oh, and it that's really, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like I, physical media still rules over yeah. digital. I, I think they're starting to realize that mm-hmm. not all printing is created equal when it comes to this stuff, because mm-hmm. a lot of the reprints of old books, um, they the coloring just doesn't work even if they're not recoloring it the coloring just doesn't work because they're printed on this really glossy like modern paper so everything seems way too oversaturated Mm -hmm. and it just feels kind of ugly yeah but then the newer stuff i've seen um like i just got uh the deluxe version of weapon x the barry windsor smith weapon X. okay yeah and it's like it's like 11 by 14 it's a big book and it's printed on really nice kind of more old style paper and the coloring is gorgeous it's yeah really really nice yeah and so i think they're starting to come around to realize okay you know put a little bit more thought into some of these things and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, present them as they're meant to be seen not just what the cheapest way to do it. people will buy it and the people will notice too this the new re-releases of tim sale r.i.p his uh long halloween dark victory the catwoman when in rome came out the haunted night but they're especially like the long halloween they're reprinting it on glossy paper Mm. and i'm like i'm sorry i've got the original trade the original hardcover the absolute and all that is the construction paper oh, it is yeah i'm like that's the absorbent for the noir for all the blacks that he uses mm-hmm. not glossy mm-hmm. yeah and glossy yeah. it just takes away a lot and i'm like oh come on guys well i'll buy it don't worry i'll buy it print it on the <laughs> the other right side. yeah yeah all right sorry detour let's bring it back so this story i first read in that deluxe edition colored mm-hmm. whatever um it knocked me on my ass because there is an obvious image of batman getting shot in the head yes 
that could just wreck a kid for <laughs> months on end. If I'd have read this probably back when it came out, it would have, oh, it would have shattered my dreams um, to see that because it feels so detailed. And like, I don't know, it's almost, it's one of those images. It's, it's striking. You almost feel it. Right. Yeah. Been shot in the head. Thank God. But um, I don't know it, it, what an impact. So there's like number one. The other one is the images of Bolland does such an awesome job of making 1940s feel very mature. Yeah. Yeah. I love his back cave. And I, I just really wish we'd get, I know we got a ton of covers from Bolland of Batman, but I wanted more stories from him Yeah, because I love his back cave. I love that he uses that 1940s Batmobile. He, I mean, the, how in this one, he uses, um, poison ivy he draws two-face the terrible trio um and then penguin on a typewriter with you know all that stuff that looks great and so that's another reason i like it and then third is the story itself and how you've got this guy he's an innocent guy he's a good guy but then he just wants to do a bad thing sure and I think it resonates with me continuously because I feel like there's a lot of truth in that story. Not me. I don't want to do something. Sure. <laughs> I don't want to. Sure. I feel <laughs> identifying with the psychopath. Yeah. You just wait in a couple of years. They're going to be like, he admitted it clear back on the Batman book club. <laughs> but I, I do almost think like there's a lot of crime and instances that happen because people, they make a, you know, they do something um, impulsive. And then it is kind of like a, oh shit, I got to take it further to try and stay innocent. Sure. Um, they go the next step because they're like, they're like, I've gone too far already. And I, I don't know, something with this is it's a messed up story for a couple different reasons. And so again, it, it's not my favorite in this. I just feel like it's such an impactful story for different reasons. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I I don't think I've read this story. Probably, I think I read it when I first got the book, and I don't know if I've ever really called it out since then. Okay. I you know I I I definitely remember it, but I guess I hadn't I hadn't really gone back and and read it specifically and focused on it. Um, feels oddly timely. Uh, strangely yeah. enough, it because I was <laughs> reading this and I was like, this kind of kind of feels like the inner monologue of like an internet troll or something yeah, yeah. you know because he's the, the way that he's talking about oh I, you know i'm a nice guy i've never done anything wrong but you know i've always just kind of wanted to do something terrible mm -hmm. and there's something about the way that he lays it out that feels kind of you know he's doing it into a camera and it's it's only a couple decades removed from someone doing something like this on facebook live or, or tiktok or something you know what i mean it there's yeah there's a there's a strange uh timeliness to the content that i was i was taken aback by mm -hmm. and so it would be weird and i would never say that i love this story because i don't love it mm -hmm. but whenever i go back and read uh reread the killing joke i always read this this follow-up like, yeah. i never skimp out on it and it, all that i mean the the opening the opening page is, you know, six panels and it is just, you know, it's all dialogue, mm -hmm. but it, I mean, the guy just, how does he say of, um, 
we're put on this earth with free will. We can choose to do this or that. We can choose to be good or bad. Sometimes I think most people are good and not bad only because they're scared they might go to jail or hell or someplace. Um, I think I'm like, you know, if you stop and think about it, and it's not to try to go too deep with comics, but it's almost just like that's why comics freaking rules because yeah, yeah. they hit every level of stuff. And and I'm like, I think there's a lot of merit to that of people really want to do this, but they're like, yeah, I just don't want to go to jail. It's not because sure. they're genuinely yeah. a good person. And so I think his setting up before we really dive into this too. Um, I don't know. It's quite, it's plausible. And I, I think there's a lot of merit to it for a lot of people's, you know, rationale. Um, I can't relate to him personally. Mm. I know you said, don't, sure, don't, don't try was... and backtrack now. <laughs> and the more I go on, on with record. it, the more I go on with it, the more suspicious I sound. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's just, you, you go from that first page, you have no idea where this story is going to go. So that's mm. why it also, and then it's almost like, oh my God, we're having fun with this. Yes, it's like, uh, it's more mature, but it's still that fun throwback to that era of Batman. Then boom, he gets shot in the head and that's what's perfectly well, illustrated by Bolin. Well, what's, oh what's really weird about it is like the first thing that he talks about before he even gets to Batman mm-hmm. is he's like the... F- the first thing he came up with as an idea of a horrible thing to do is to uh, kidnap a little girl and chain her up in a, in a sewer. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Just leave her there to die. Yeah. And then he goes from there to maybe I'll murder the Pope. The Pope. And, you know, so it, there's these two pretty intense setups before he gets into the Batman thing and that before they firmly root it into, into Gotham City. Um, and I think it does disarm you a little bit when you get to the Batman stuff, because it becomes kind of fun and games a bit where it's, you know, you're getting these great shots of the Batmobile. Yeah. Oh, if it's, you might be going to punch two face in the face or, you know, mm-hmm. making out with poison Ivy or fighting the penguin on top of a, a giant te- uh, typewriter. And then he brings it back around to the really dark element where he's like, yeah. And then after he thinks he's ready, I'd step out and I'd shoot him in the head. No one would ever find out it was me. And yeah. it's just like, you know, that, that one panel you were talking about, mm-hmm where Batman gets shot in the head is, is very, it's like not it's graphic, but it's not horribly graphic. If that makes sense. Yeah. But it is, it is very impactful. Like the image that he, he drew, it's, it's tough to look at that, not kind of wince a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And it's funny that we went from Zafino to Balin because I I feel, how do you feel about Brian Balin's art? Because I feel like it is, he's a very, it would feel like his process is very meticulous, mm-hmm. very specific, complete opposite of Zafinos, who oh, is definitely. organized yeah. mess. Yeah. This is completely neat and tidy, yeah. which I think becomes even more um, maybe mesmerizing for Bowen because the killing joke in this story, the types of stories they are, what happens in those stories, and you have a guy who draws such neat and tidy panels illustrating those dark disturbing stories yeah and it's like one of my favorite words that's such a juxtaposition to me of and i just feel like a, like a big boy who's smart when i whenever i say that <laughs> word too <laughs> but it, it's that part that's kind of fascinating to me too which i know before we started recording i was telling you i really like the you know here behind the scenes process and stuff like that from uh creators because sure Bon, I, I don't know i've never met him talk to him i'd love to but 
it is just like how does that work how do you make that yeah. work i don't know how you feel about his art completely if you're like whatever you say it's cool i i'm just like i'm fascinated by his by his art with just two batman stories trash no I'm just okay kidding. there we go you uh, heard it <laughs> <laughs> no i've i've always i've always really loved his work and yeah i think one of the things that has always stood out to me is how meticulous it is mm-hmm. like there's not a single line that's out of place in his in his work but at the same time it never feels stiff it's always got some life to it like uh yeah. you know that that drawing that he does of two-face is amazing mm-hmm. um the way that he he renders the scarred side of two-face's face is just awesome and he's not like he knows he knows when to push it into solid black territory and he knows yeah. when to to do more sort of uh, uh hatching work like that same page with two-face that first panel has batman jumping off of a roof and he's just got a nice hard silhouette of the roof that he doesn't feel the need to go in and draw every line on on the yep. uh on the water tower there um he's a he's a really good storyteller he knows mm-hmm. how to focus you know the more the more i work in comics the more that i i realize that the key is focus in image and uh clarity of image mm-hmm. where you have to pick the thing you want people to focus on and it's basically what Alex Toth said, which is find the thing that you want people to focus on, draw the hell out of it, and then let the rest of it just kind of fade away. Um, and he's really point. good at that. You know, he 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 picks the things that he wants to to to, to wants you to focus on. He probably sold these. He he designed this story really well, actually, because he's got one, two, three. Yeah, he's got one page that has three Batman villains on it. No, I'm sorry. Technically three, five Batman villains on it, plus Batman three times. And then the next page is a big, you know, nice splash shot of the penguin and a giant typewriter. What I'm getting at is that he probably sold these pages for a lot of money (laughs) because there's like every single page kind of has something that someone would want, except maybe the first one. But at this point, I feel like I feel like that's a collector's item now it's yeah it's it's a collector's (laughs) item on its own but like as far as how to design a story that gets a lot of batman stuff into a single story without it feeling forced great way to do it because it's all from this kid's perspective so he can kind of wax poetic about all these different villains and all these different things that batman might encounter so that allows you to get all the fun stuff in but it doesn't sacrifice the uh the the drama or the 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 darkness of the story that he's telling yeah i would love to know i would love to know how much that batman getting shot in the head page would go for i bet that would be a very expensive page i wouldn't even know other than i can't afford it uh but i i don't i don't even know what art like that would would go for yeah Um, my my one criticism i will say and this is a, a completely personal thing his stuff is so um what's the word i'm looking for here uh pretty <laughs> no <Neat. laughs> it's it's got a certain uh tactile isn't the right word um textured in a certain way that okay. uh i i this is a long way of me getting around to saying i don't like the way he draws batman's cowl uh it's just i i don't love the horn look on batman i like more yeah. of the smooth kind of ears 
uh so like the very the very round head with like the the kind of curved pincer horns is not my favorite look for batman but that's completely a uh a personal preference i feel like he's got let's see and i know it's only because it's so up close okay so when he's in the cave sitting in his chair Mm -hmm. there the the ears look more extended in which i only with that i'm like oh okay the ears are actually pretty long other pages looks fine looks fine and then i totally i agree with you too that was a point i wanted to make of yeah just like devil horns almost or or something it is it's cool that it is so um intricate and neatly drawn but as for yeah exactly like you said it's like he has a skull cap and then attached these long horns on the side and i'm like "Eh, well no wonder a bullet went right through yeah (laughs) (laughs) well funny enough i actually really like the way the cowl looks in the in the panel where he gets shot in the head it looks like a little different. Yeah, it's a little bit yeah. more smoothed out, except for the you know the brains. But yeah, except for the brains, exactly. Um, yeah, I think I've said everything I wanted to say on that. Uh, do you want to move along to your your next one? Sure. The one thing I did want to call out that I find funny about this is that he uses the terrible trio, which I, is a real what, deep a, pull. what a pick. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, maybe and, maybe he also saw that episode of the cartoon and thought it was terrible. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Was, yeah. Poison Ivy, Two-Face, Penguin. Hey, let's avoid from using the Joker. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Okay. To be fair, though. Terrible trio. To be fair, though, that's <laughs> definitely something I would do Um, in the Red Hood book that we wrote, the White mm-hmm. Knight Red Hood. There was originally going to be a sequence that featured the Condiment King, but unfortunately, it didn't make it into the final book. But ah. no. So we actually... When we were talking about that scene with the Condiment King, we had batted around using the the terrible trio because uh-huh. that episode of the cartoon we both very famously disliked. And so <laughs> when we were we were looking for a low level like Z tier villain yeah. for for Gan the new Robin to 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 beat up in in just like a montage sequence, that was the first place we went. But then we were like, oh, well, Condiment King, we could do that. But then we ended up changing the whole thing anyway. So as as you uh, do, and and. In the multiverse somewhere, yes. Condiment King was in the White Knight universe. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't want to say he'll never be in there. Yeah, but... there you go. Never say never. Yeah, we'll see. What he might happens. make it. I hope so. And he becomes the darkest origin story of a villain yet. <laughs> his his mother choked to death from uh, a hot dog that had too much ketchup, and she said no ketchup. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you could, you you got it. I'm already there. Gee, why am I not writing comics, right? With yeah, yeah. Proposal like that. Uh, I believe your second one was the first story in issue number one mm-hmm. called Perpetual Morning. Yes. Uh, written and illustrated by Ted McKeever. So go ahead, take it away on, on this one. Well, um, I don't actually know Ted, McKeever, T- Ted McKeever's work from anything mm-hmm. really other than this i think i may have looked it up along the way in in y- years past but um i don't have a deep knowledge of his work um the main reason that i wanted to pick this one is first of all i think it's a beautiful story i think like the the dialogue on the first page is borderline profound mm-hmm. um and the thing that stood out to me is this is Batman black and white, right? You're doing an yeah. anthology 
story. DC Comics is doing a Batman anthology where they've got all these different artists put together on this thing. And the first story in the book is by this guy who has a style that is very much not uh, a mainstream comic style. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty depressing isn't the right word but it's a dark story it's it's a it's a very kind of vertigo-esque batman story um and i think it just it was really ballsy to start your your book with this especially when you've got people like joe kubert and uh klaus jansen and kevin nolan even brian bolland i feel i feel like brian bolland is probably might have been a a, an easier sell for the first issue Mm -hmm. uh first story or, or um, Bruce Tim, you know, yep. uh, the fact that they don't start with Bruce Tim, something that's instantly recognizable, especially in 1996, is is kind of surprising. But it, it makes a big statement for the book to pick the story that is entirely inside Batman's inner monologue as he has to do an autopsy on a murder victim. And I think... Um, the thing about the story that really stood out to me is I'm not a big fan of long, lengthy monologues telling mm-hmm. you telling you about character. And telling you what sh- to think, basically. Yeah. I yeah, want to be I shown character through through action. And I'm not saying you can't have dialogue that shows character because, you know, mm-hmm. that's part of dialogue is showing character. Um, but what this story does without really saying it out loud is it gives you a look at batman that that tells you that every person that he can't save is arguably more important than the ones that he does save because those are the ones that really get to him and there's a certain uh he has a certain responsibility to remember these people who are killed yeah that is just this done through this really beautiful story of him doing this autopsy and the autopsy itself is telling telling us a story as much as it's telling him a story and he's learning about this girl who's been killed through this autopsy and then you know finally he manages to to give her back the thing that she's lost in this in this murder which is her name she's just a jane doe and at the end of the story he figures out what her name is yeah. And he says, you know, it's it's something that I'll I'll keep I, I will remember you forever. And it's just a it's a it's a it's a really kind of um sad side of Batman. Sad isn't the right word. It is sad, but it's it's just a side of Batman that shows you that his there's a big level of responsibility and kind of it what he does he there's a cer- certain sacred nature to it where it's mm-hmm. it's it's not just it's not just on him to stop the crime it's on him to remember the people who didn't make it and stuff like that it's just i think it's yeah. a it's an oddly profound story for an eight-page batman story tim it's i think so i read this one twice as well mm. and maybe i mean you uh mark chiarella chiarella Chiarello. Okay. I started to stutter there. (laughs) Uh, Like maybe props if he was the one that was able to fight and get this to be the first story of this new series Mm -hmm. to really let you know, like, this is the book we're making. Yeah. Because I totally agree with you. The Bruce Tim story would be the crowd pleaser to open up 
Batman Black and White because it's got a continuation of Batman the Animated Series from the, the creator of the animated series. And this is what you know. And and then to follow that story with this or an innocent guy. Mm. And then it would be like, wait, what? Instead, this is such a this is a good introduction of, you know, we're going experimental, we're going artistic approach to Batman. Um and yeah, I, I the second the second reading of this like right now like i said it's been a while since i've read these so i didn't even i didn't remember how this one ended um the second read of it was more enjoyable than the first i think Mm. because the first reading left me with questions to where i thought about them and i just went back and read it over again Mm -hmm. and I, i really appreciate the approach of the at the end it's not batman found the murderer batman found the id of this right of this woman yeah so there at least is it's it's and that's almost like a oh what do I say like an opposite deal of like hooray we gave her an ID she's dead yeah we know who she is she has an identity yeah. and that's a victory which is kind of weird however in it and there's sometimes there's just dialogue that really just freaking works and he says um where is it a DNA, oh, a piece of the bastard's tooth, a DNA business card with a name and address. She got you, she got you, you bastard. The, a DNA business card with a name and address. It's, I don't know. There's something about like, you know, like chef's kiss with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's not poetic, but he says, Hey, this, a piece of his tooth links to the DNA. We'll be able to find this guy that did this to you. Mm-hmm in a totally different way that doesn't say any of that, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it, but we get the point, we get it quicker. It sounds better. And that really, that stuck out to me, but then, yeah, I mean, when I got to the end of, uh, you know, realizing the point, cause I felt a little bit of like a question mark of the, the woman working at the diner and, you know, and she said, that's Chelsea. Blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, no, dear girl. And it's like, she's crying. And I'm like, well, wait, what does that even mean? And I did, I kind of almost missed that point mm. of, well, the point wasn't like, wait, was the diner woman the one? Blah, blah, blah. Who's, what about the guy that murdered her? It's like, no, we have, we're able to ID. There's some sort of closure here by yeah. being able to ID. But then it leaves enough trinkets for the story to continue in your head of, but he's got the DNA of the guy who did it. Right. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's putting it all together as he's going through all of this. And then there's this whole intercutting with the dance. Mm-hmm. It also had me scratch my head a little bit at first. And then, there's just a lot of stuff that sometimes, and it, it helps with these black and white stories that they're only eight pages. Read it a second time. Yeah. Always just read them, read them a second time. There's, a, there's many I'm sure that are like, Oh, I got it after one, but there's some that are just take the extra five, 10 minutes and read it a second time. And yeah. I was really glad that yeah. I did with this one. Cause that, that second read did improve for me. Yeah. You know, I think when you get to work on Batman, you are uh, everybody wants to, to to put their stamp on it right they're like they want to this is what i think batman is about and uh, it's i think this is one of those stories but it's it's a very sly version of one of those stories where Mm -hmm. you know it's not about the vengeance batman's not about and i i I think it it works for me because i i agree with what he's saying here Mm -hmm. as, as far as how i i think about batman as a character where um it's it's not about the anger it's not about the vengeance it's not about the villains it's about the people 
and the people are the important part of the equation like batman is there to save people of course yeah he punches people and every now and then he'll surf an airplane between two buildings or something but it's like (laughs) the the having a grounded batman to me doesn't all just mean oh he doesn't have lasers or something you know it's Mm -hmm. you get back to the core of what the character is which is a superhero he's someone who had something horrible happen to him and he dedicated his life to making sure to the best of his ability that that doesn't happen to anybody else yeah and i think this story does a really great job of of refocusing that for exactly what you're reasons you're saying where it's like he's got he's got the information he needs to figure out who who did this and catch this guy but that's not the important thing the important thing is the person who was killed and it's just a really really nicely written story where you get so much character out of this this girl who was killed and from batman without any sort of hitting you over the head kind of dialogue or, or grand proclamations about about who he is as a character or what he's really about stuff like that it's all in the subtext and it's all in the way he tells the story but then you also get lines like this which i read twice because i was like man this is like <laughs> on the first page where i'm st- i'm not entirely sure who he's talking to on the first page if he's talking to the he, i think he might be talking to the reader mm. Um, but he says, tell me, dear soul, is it true that we live only in a dream at a dizzying speed and then move on to leave space for others, others for whom we must leave a clean, a clean place setting. And something about that really just, I was like, man, that was, I was not expecting some, <laughs> a deep study That's about deep. <laughs> the, the, the nature of life on earth and existence on the first page of Back It's almost Black like those White. really, those really weird moments you'd have where you just for whatever freaking reason, your mood is just kind of like, how am I here? What am I here for? Yeah. Where am I going? What, you know, and you just start, all of that collapses on you. It's like, yeah, that's kind of what that is right there. I was like, holy shit. And you know, <laughs> it, it seems kind of, it, I think on first blush, it could seem a little bit over the top, but you know, the next thing it says is, does the individual count for nothing? Are we only, pre- are we only preserving the general features of humanity, the broad brush strokes? And it all leads into this idea that, this girl's identity is very important mm-hmm. and that it and among all of the crazy things that are happening in the world someone needs to remember this person yeah and it's up to batman to be the person who does that and it's just a, i just think it's a really beautiful story yeah um i don't think i can add anything uh smarter and better i mean <laughs> i mean he's what doing do you- an he's doing an autopsy and he, I mean, he's taken us along for it of the revelations of how he's able to piece this stuff together because he's the world's greatest detective. I just yeah. kind of feel like they give us enough for how he's justifying of the story of how it went down. That's what happened. Yeah. Because he's Batman. And, it, <laughs> you know, it also takes away this idea that Batman is just cold, Yeah. which I have depending on my day, I have different feelings about, but, um, you know, he's the way that he presents this autopsy scene is again, it's, 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 it's almost kind of, he, well, he literally presents it as a dance, Mm -hmm. you know, he needs to, it's something that the two of them have to do together, uh, to, to reach this outcome. And there's a certain almost like ritualist ritualistic element to the way that he does this. Yeah. And it just, it's, it, it's really, nice to see that a batman who is well aware that the things he's doing 
have meaning and mm-hmm. have weight and it's not just kicking down doors and uh you know throwing the joker out of a window or something there's yeah there's, there's weight to the small things as well mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um, how do you feel about the art is it is it your kind of thing because this is this is another story where when i read it the first time i saw it i was like wow i i didn't realize that comic art could look like this because it's it's not it's I not great s- i i really like i mean it's i it, it is an aesthetic that i enjoy uh-huh. um but i can see why it wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea uh but it's you know i i think it's actually kind of similar to the zafino stuff where it is fairly yeah. impressionistic and lots of big shadows and stuff but again for the first story in batman black and white picking this kind of art style is, is a pretty bold move i think well i think it's interesting and so that's so what i mean by it's not great of i mean it's it's completely unfair to be to look at this and be like man that's not jim lee that's not brian ball that's not klaus jansen it's like yeah no shit like come on <laughs> uh but you, there's like the first panel is you know outside of outside of the morgue and you know and it's it is giving you a lot of you know buildings telephone lines the street mm. lights the it looks like a garbage trucks and other vehicles and then it takes you inside of that and you see all these you know there's like a bunch of trash on the floor in the room and all all these appliances and then it goes from that to i mean the panel where it just looks like he took like a black marker and did an outline of batman sure Didn't color yeah. him in or anything yeah um it, it's it jumps a little bit back and forth where it seems like not extremely detailed, but kind of to very mm-hmm. simplistic. Yeah. Um, it's not like I, I almost am like a, uh, I'll buy any Batman book to give it a shot. Cause it's yeah. Batman. I want to read anything that's Batman. Yeah. You know, you get a, you get a long line and I have, I don't know. Uh, let's imagine there's a whole book. That's like this. I have $20 and only $20 that I can buy one Batman book. And I open up and I look at this and then I do look at stuff that does look prettier and stuff mm. with Batman. Then I'd be like, I probably would go for the prettier. Sure. Sure. I feel like that's, that's the advantage of comic books that a bad story, but you got fantastic art. Like people are going to be kind of duped by the art. Sure. Then yeah. you go to this where it's like, no, this wouldn't be my first pick on the art, but then you do read that story. Yeah. And this could hold so much better weight than that pretty looking book. That I would read once and be like, well, that story kind of sucked. I mean, the art was cool. Yeah. But yeah. this gets me to read it a second time, gets me to read it a third time. Right. So then in the end, it's kind of like, you know, um, story matters. Art yeah. matters. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what, am I, what am I doing here? Like preaching like, hey, comic books. <laughs> but I just feel like that that's something with this of. Yeah, it's just not it's not my favorite art, but the story makes it better to me. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I think that the regardless of whether or not it's your taste, I think the art style fits the story. Yeah, I agree. Like I, if this was a really glossy modern comic book version of the story, I don't think it would ring uh, as I don't think it would resonate as much for me because it's a really dirty story. And I mean, yeah. I mean that just like, you know, grimy, dirty, not like, you know, sex or sexual dirty. Yeah. Um, and it needs a it needs a an appropriate art style for that story and i think this uh, ted mckeever's art is it's rough it's um gritty and it's uh 
I hesitate to say unrefined because I think there's a lot of refined uh, technique in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But on first glance, it feels unrefined. It feels a little, a little bit um, kind of primitive. But sure. uh, it's, I, I think it is the right style for the story that's being told. Yeah. Yep. I'll agree with that. Um, there is pairings. And so props to, I don't know, I guess like, granted, this is the, the same guy illustrating it. It's the same guy who's writing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's other cases of, you know, Dixon and Safino of credit to whoever paired that up of, I think mm-hmm. that you two for this story work great as opposed to, um, I don't know. I mean, I did just say Bond's art is almost, it's very pretty for such a dark and disturbing story, mm-hmm. but I don't know, even that, I mean, and I go to Jim Lee, cause I just feel like a lot of people right now still put Jim Lee at, you know, he's a lister. He's one of the best artists sure. in the medium and all sure. that. But I mean, you think of Hush, you know, his story Hush, which is like his, you know, magnum opus almost. And it's like, how dirty was that story? Mm. And his stuff is so pretty that I don't know, like, yeah, exactly. Like you're seeing for this very mature and dirt. I just keep saying dirty story. Yeah. I just took a long way of taking what you just said and trying to make it sound like I was saying something different <laughs> well you know i i think if you look at I talk a lot <laughs> if if you look at the brian ballin story and then you look at this story you know the thing i one of the things i said about the brian's ballin story was oh he structured it in such a way that allows him to draw like big money splash things where it's like mm-hmm. we've got two face and we've got the, the penguin and all this other kind of stuff like stuff that are definitely eye-catching gonna draw a reader into a, the things batman readers want to see right yeah Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to just boil it down to to money. I don't know how much I don't know how much you're gonna get for a Ted McKeever page of Batman doing an autopsy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that's not to say they yeah. shouldn't go for because I would buy that in a second. Like I mm-hmm. I love it. But as far as again, it's it what I was saying and why I think it's such a, a bold move to put this first in the book is it's there's nothing splashy in batman about the story yeah. at all like even the zafino story had some had some splashy you know a nice shot of the batmobile you get batman beating some guys up and stuff you, you know but this one it's just it's very quiet it's very small yeah but it's uh it's just it's just really really well done i think which i feel like for both of your stories i can it definitely I think at the very it, least, it gives you a sense of what I like in Batman. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, as we were talking about, they're like, yeah, they're kind of both occupy the same space of like this quiet, removed Batman who's sort of uh, more of a shadowy presence than anything mm-hmm. else. You know, one, the dirty one work. definitely shows why you chose the other. I think sure, with, the sure, two that, yeah. with the two that you picked. Um, I, we're pushing it on time. I want to respect your time. So my other one that I chose, and we don't have to go into it, is the one that followed this. It is the Bruce Tim story. Oh yeah, two of yeah. a kind. I love it. That probably is my favorite. It's also possibly the most comfortable story in yeah. this first volume. Yeah. And so maybe yeah. that's it too. It feels a little safe, even though mm-hmm. it's funny because it feels like it's the animated series episode that Bruce Tim proposed and got shut down on oh is it really because, oh i didn't know that oh, no 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 i'm saying it oh, feels you're that saying way. just yes yes sure because yes, I can it's see that, yeah 
it's very it's mature it goes further than the series did yes um, this it maybe feels the most noir of the animated series i mm. think mm-hmm. i've got that vibe completely with it but i mean with the 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 murder um the twin and the the blood on the wall now it's just the two of us two-face i mean harvey burning his own face and then killing her at the end all of that was just like yep this one that made it on the on fox back in Back right. in 1993, yes. you know, but honestly, I, I though, it, though. one of the things that that stood out to us when we were covering the show on the podcast is that they do they did stuff on that show that I was surprised that they did in a kid's show. And I'm not saying like, you know, uh, nudity or violence or stuff, but they were telling some fairly adult stories. Yeah. The, like the one we always call out to is in that regard is the one that's about. um <clears throat> rupert thorne and his brother the or maybe it's not rupert thorne it's the it's a crime boss and his brother i just watched it yeah it's it's never too late yes okay but the the brother who's the priest who gets Mm -hmm. his leg run over by the train like that's that's not a kid's story you know that's that's there's no fun villains there's no big props yeah this is about two old guys (laughs) no no child's favorite batman villain is emotionally emotionally compromised (laughs) mob leader you know yeah so it, it I uh that being said, this probably does push it a little bit too far for the cartoon. Yeah. 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 But um I mean the design, there's a I think there's just you can strengthen why the animated series is so many people's favorite interpretation of Batman. I would never yeah. argue. Yeah. It's it's great. And this is a little bit of a continuation with that, maturing it a little bit more, um, a little bit more twisted, uh, makes you feel because I think a lot of us do feel for Harvey Dent. Uh, mm. we want him to make it on the other side. I think we knew where this story was going as soon as it opened yeah. up and it's mm-hmm. like, Hey, I'm fixed. It's like, it's for the, five more pages. <laughs> it's the only place every two face story goes when he gets fixed. It's the, yeah. the inevitable ending of that story. Every time is that eventually he, he, he gets will unfixed. be yeah. two face again. Yes. So, I mean, not, a, not a whole lot to say. It's not deep. It's pretty straightforward, but yeah, that was, um, that had been my, my second pick and possibly my favorite amongst a ton of great stories in black yeah, and white it's so. it's just a, you know I, and that's not to say that everything in here is a plus because there's sure. some there's some stuff that just doesn't uh hit me the way some other ones do like i am a gigantic bill sinkevich fan mm-hmm. he's probably my number you know in my top three favorite artists every time i flip to his story i just flip past it because there's it's it's so dense it's like so many it's so much lettering and so much reading and I just, it, it seems kind of impenetrable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, sh- I'm, sh- I think I've read it once when I read through it and I've never gone back to it really. I'm sure it's probably great, but it's just a little bit much for me. Um, I, just, I, I read it. I know I read it and I was like, this is not my favorite. <laughs> this is yeah, not the it's one a I'm lot. Picking. It's just a lot of musing. I feel like uh, if I remember it correctly and it's just very densely packed and uh, yeah, it's kind of off-putting just to look at because it's so densely packed lettering wise you know you've got like there's one page that is one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen seventeen eighteen nineteen twenty panels and most of it is lettering and it's just it's a lot it's a yeah it's a lot um there's a walt simonson story in here that's like uh kind of a robot future batman or something that's not really my cup of tea i love walt but that's you know that, that story didn't, didn't really do much for me um <clears throat> there's other stories in there that are like uh, that are great the kevin nolan story is really nice 
the Gary Gianni and Archie Goodwin story is really fun. Um, yeah, I would just I would recommend it to anybody who's who's looking for a little bit of a different off the beaten path uh, take on Batman by some really kind of undeniably great talents, you know? Yep. I am. It sounds like a lot on for this show. I was really glad um, a friend came on, Eric Carter, and he chose uh, a book that I just that I told him, I said, all these episodes in. And this is a first. This is a book that I think I know. I don't really like it. Mm-hmm. but we but you really do let's have a good conversation about it so we were both excited to have that yeah i brought yeah. up points why i didn't and he was like i can see that he brought up points of why he liked it and i said i can see that i also had things i did like with it but in the end i was like i kind of don't like it i'm batman's biggest apologist yet biggest critic sure yeah absolutely which is a really weird i don't know and with that it's like even with so you just mentioned i mean uh bill s We'll call him Bill S. Uh, his story, I'm just like, I'm not really a big fan of it. And there's a couple mm-hmm. others in here that I'm not necessarily a big fan, but I would not hesitate in telling someone like, read black and white. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Judge it for yourself. You may not appreciate but I mean, sometimes when you get stuff, you can be like, I don't really like it, but I appreciate the ambition, the uh, what you were going for. The mm-hmm. story itself had some parts in it that were cool, but overall didn't. I don't know. It's It's great. Um, and it's a good experimental with pieces of brilliance in it, yeah, I yeah. think. So yeah. if somebody has dodged it this long, uh, I, like find it, you can find it anywhere. I and told I, you, DC Universe, Infinite, and Hoopla, <laughs> our favorite app, Hoopla. Yes. You can yes. find it. You got it. And I'm and I'm glad that they're still doing it because that greatly mm-hmm. in- increases my chances of maybe being in it one day, which would be would amazing. It's a requirement now. The next volume, you've got to. Yeah, be I got to do it. I got to figure out how to make it happen. You're in the DC world now. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, I got to find some weird, twisted Batman story to to draw really aggressively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so usually I, I end each episode with uh, three questions. Sure. I don't know how to do this with uh, short stories, though. Oh, okay. We'll Number, figure it out. So, do you have a favorite part? You can say, I mean, I have a favorite part of um, either story. Yeah. That we've talked about. Um, I think my favorite part is probably the ending of the Ted McKeever story. Okay. Because I feel like that one, the way it's structured, you're kind of along for the ride until you get to the end and then you really see what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not a mystery really like the what you're what you're reading is not a mystery that you're trying to solve you're just sort of like along for the ride as as you see Batman go through these these different um, actions but it's not until you really get to the end and you have that moment where he finds out what the girl's name is and he kind of brings it all back about how he's going to keep it inside himself forever that you really mm-hmm. see what the story is about and I just think it's 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 plotted and, and crafted very well nice uh that's weird but i mean sometimes it's it's whatever pops in your head so the bruce tim story um as harvey gets out of arkham he says a well-connected friend of mine arranged to have me smuggled out the rear entrance to avoid the media circus outside next panel he's shaking hands thanks for everything bruce shaking hands with bruce wayne and that's I could hear it um, 
in one of the animated series episodes, I think it's when Harvey's going to get the operation on his face. And he says something about like, uh, you know, um, Bruce, he's always been there. He's always been a good friend or something like that. Mm. And that, that is such a, you know, the really cool thing people like to put online of Bruce Wayne should have just put his money in Gotham and not suited yeah. up and beaten yes. the, that stupid thing that goes around all the time. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's a good detractor to that. And of like, kind of like this is, that's the Bruce Wayne character of his, his faith in people and the ways he is trying to help like quietly mm-hmm. not attention yeah. which to me just feels much more genuine um it's really it's an odd moment that that sticks out but i mean of the two stories i picked i just i don't know and it's two panels but yeah. then you know the next and then in the next panel he even says of oh, good old bruce but then you see batman in silhouette on the building behind him as he's walking right he's right. keeping his eye on him and it but it's not for like i'm waiting for him to slip up so i can kick his ass it's i'm looking out hoping that this is it which makes the Harvey Dent tra- character tragic. Like his whole story always so tragic anyway, but we're so drawn to it to keep, <laughs> keep revisiting. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. I'm going on way too long here. Sorry. <laughs> well, I was, I was just going to say, I, I love the more, the quieter behind the scenes, Bruce stuff. Cause my yeah. favorite version of Bruce Wayne. Well, one of my favorite is the 89 version of Bruce Wayne, where it's like, nobody even really knows who he is. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's just, he's a rich guy that people kind of talk about, but he's not the, face everybody knows the way he's portrayed more most of the time now he's just kind of like he's an eccentric weird millionaire who just happens to give reporters a grant when they ask for it facetious yeah yeah exactly um six is good i don't know uh do you have a favorite panel of the the Uh, stories we talked about i think my favorite panel is probably I think it might be that shot of Gordon and Batman from the nice. uh, uh, Chuck Dixon Zafino story, or or the one where he's perched up on the on the uh, the roof there, because it's just it's like that's an iconic look of that's yeah. the Batman that I see in my head when I want to draw him. It never comes out looking like that, but that's what I <laughs> always want it to look like. And it's uh, yeah, it's just a great great Batman shot. Nice, yeah. I mean, hard to argue. Mine. Uh, it's the in, innocent guy, Batman in the Batcave. Sure, love yeah. Batcave shots. Uh, give him all day, every day. I I, I love them. So, um, and then a master like Bowen draws them, and it, it's great. What, uh, you know what's nice about that too, is that I feel like more often than not now, when you get a bat Batcave shot in a book, it's like an eight page fold out spread where someone where they have to draw the the biggest widest shot of the Batcave you've ever seen in your life where. Yeah, you can see everything, and the bowling one is just you know nice, nice little tight close up of the back cave. You get to see the yep. dinosaur and shit, but you know it's it's uh it's not doesn't go too over the top. Isn't yeah. like three point perspective where it just makes my chest hurt when I look at it. So <laughs> it's which I'm I like those, but I I agree with you. I don't I don't need that. Yeah, I and like you said, this small rectangle. It's got enough trinkets in there. You know, it's got that old Batmobile in the back. It's got the dinosaur and the penny. Those are the requirements. Yeah. Got them. There yep. you go. Would you like to see your stories or all of this volume or something adapted in animation? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, yes and no. I'm going to say yes, because I think these stories uh i love a good anthology 
Mm-hmm. Like my one of my probably my favorite episode of Batman the Animated Series is um, Legends of the Dark Knight, where the three kids are telling the stories about the different kinds of Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm I'm a sucker for different costumes and different versions of of people and stuff. Um, but I would only want to see it if they could stay true to the art styles for each one because uh one of the things that kind of bums me out about a lot of the adaptations they do now is they are adapting stories that have very specific art styles and they kind of shave sand off a lot of the edges and kind of just make it look like the animated style that they do for all these movies now and it it, you know it always kind of bums me out a bit because like gotham by gaslight i would love to see that animated and look like Mike Mignola's work or long. Honestly, long Halloween really bummed me out. Uh, I tried to watch it, but it was like, uh, I mean, you couldn't animate Tim sales style. That would have been amazing. Like it's, he doesn't have a complicated style really to, to Mm -hmm. animate. It's not like got a lot of lines or anything. It's very graphic and very kind of blocky. Um, And I think that's a big part of the fun is seeing the different, different styles of art. So I would like to see it adapted if they could uh, approximate the um, art styles as much as as much as possible. It's funny because that's like a I think a recurring recurring comment that I hear from uh, uh, from creatives. Oh really? I, you know that I've gotten to talk to this year. I've got to talk to you. I told you I got to talk to Sean Murphy recently. Mm-hmm. I got to talk to Libra Mayo earlier this oh, year. Oh cool, excellent. And those are definitely similar similar comments did you ever see the animated movie gotham knights in 2008 i think so i think i watched it at the time i, I can't remember exactly it's though. like they did an anime approach of that legends of the dark knight episode and it okay, was sure yep five mm-hmm. or six stories i think five and each short one was a different writer different art style mm-hmm. anime but every single one looked vastly different from each other. Yeah. I don't think it was widely received like well. And I'm kind of like, oh man, I think it's, I think it's kind of brilliant. It's, it was just different, which is cool. And I think that is echoing what you said. That is definitely like if they attempted black and white, do it that way. Yeah. Cause they are like 10, 12 minute, stories in each one it looks vastly different and is completely different story-wise they don't connect they're not it's just its own thing and i think that approach is how you could do batman black and white i don't think that they would ever do an animated series only in black and white i don't think that would ever happen if they were going to do it they would need to keep it black and white i i which they probably would not do but i was actually just thinking as you were saying that it would be a great project for like a college animation course. Yeah. To be like, you know, pick a story out of this book, animate this and try to stay as close to the style as possible yeah. you know, to get like a nice kind of show reel or something out of it. I mean, it'd have to be cheaper by using only black and white and gray, right? Probably. They, yeah. So yeah. there you go. It's a little less risky because it should, it shouldn't cost you as much. I don't know. What do I know? I don't, I don't make cartoons for a living. <laughs> um, play that. That's it. That's my last question for you. Cool. So again, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to you. Um, went longer as is my, my problem always longer than I tell you. 
So really sorry That's about right. that. I'm, uh, I'm used to it on my own shows. We always blow, <laughs> blow right through whatever the timestamp I think is going to be. Yeah. So uh, yeah, please plug away where anyone and everyone can follow you, what you're working on, whatever, whatever you want to plug. Have sure. Uh, yeah. Currently I, uh, um, Batman white Knight presents red hood, uh, which I co-wrote with Sean Murphy is uh, the, it, I don't know. I think by the time this comes out, both issues will be out probably. This it should be coming out um, in a couple of days when this drops. Okay. So I think that the, it's a the two issue. issue. Yeah. It's a two issue mini series. So I think that the, uh, that will be out a little bit after this episode comes out, I think. There you go. Yep. Um, but yeah, the first one's out there right now, if you want to grab it. Um, and uh, I'm on Twitter. Twitter and Instagram. My name is C McCormick 414. And uh, yeah, I spend basically all my free time doing podcasts now. So I have a, <laughs> I'm the co-host of a Star Trek podcast called the Penske file, which is uh, where, where we cover all the Star Trek stuff. We just started season two of Voyager, which has been fun. Uh, I do the badass podcast with Sean Murphy. We cover the animated Batman, the animated series. And I also do a horror podcast called the rotten horror picture show where we get you gained a new subscriber to yeah me. i'm excited i'm excited uh where we talk about movies off the 200 best horror movies of all time list from rotten tomatoes which is a uh a contentious list to say the least <laughs> but uh it's 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 a lot of fun and we've we've done some really cool movies um so yeah i think that's it is that is that everything jeez yeah i think that's it <laughs> guys uh if you haven't do pick up white knight presents uh red hood the first and second issues i've read them both um really really good continue uh on with the white knight universe which everybody i know of is a fan of so do track them down and then follow follow clay on twitter as for me you can follow the batman book club on twitter and instagram at the batman bc for latest episodes uh upcoming episodes sometimes some giveaways subscribe to the youtube channel where actually the video version of this episode will be posted as well as other stuff like with Peter Vera, we're doing the road to no man's land from page to screen, uh, comparing the stories to the animated adaptations that they have. Uh, if you want to write into the show, you can the Batman BC at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, there's a variety of ways you can do it. Like I said, at the top of the show, patreon.com slash the Batman BC. Uh, if you want to buy a t-shirt notebook um onesies for your little ones you can do that at tpublic.com uh type in tbbc for the batman book club to do that but if you want to support the show and you don't want to spend any money at all it's 100 a-okay the best thing you can do is rate and review the show wherever you listen to it on your podcast feed apple spotify iHeartRadio, amazon google play wherever uh rate and review the show because the more reviews it gets the more it helps spread the word and as we all know the word is panic so for Clay McCormick, the writer of White Knight Presents Red Hood, number one and number two, I am Ryan Lauer. Until next time, read my Batman comics. <laughs>